0: If you are 65 or over, or you have a weak immune system, you can now get your second COVID-19 booster vaccine. Your vaccine is due four months after your last vaccine. It will improve your protection from COVID-19. You can book a vaccination centre appointment on hsc.ie or contact a participating GP or pharmacy. For more information on your second booster or to book an appointment, visit hsc.ie. Or call our team in HSE Live on 1800 700 700 from the HSE for us all.
1: Taking stock on News Talk.
2: Thanks to SkillNet Ireland, driving business success through innovative training and upskilling.
1: Welcome back to Taking Stock on News Talk, and we're joined now by Geraldine Herbert, motoring journalist with the Sunday Independent. Geraldine, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us.
2: Good morning, Gavin.
1: One of the big drivers of inflation in the US has been a surge in the price of used cars. And seemingly, Geraldine, that's because of a bottleneck in the production of new cars. So what's going on?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. Basically, there's a global chip shortage, which is impacting new car supply. Now, Gavin, these are chips that are used in everything from your toaster to your washing machine, but they're used extensively in car manufacturing Now, car manufacturers tend not to kind of stockpile them. So what they just literally order them as they need them. So when they closed uh, factories during the first lockdown in March, 2020, they canceled orders for chips. Now, in the meantime, there was a huge demand for personal computers and uh, all sorts of electronics to support homeschooling and people working from home. So basically what happened was the chip makers diverted their production lines to this more lucrative consumer electronics market Uh, factories then, car makers, factories reopened and they found themselves like literally scrambling for chips and they were like almost bottom of the pile. Now, this probably would have almost, you know, kind of corrected itself eventually, but then a whole heap of other um, events compounded the problem. There was the container ship that blocked the Suez Canal. You might remember that it only docked recently. That delayed ships heading from Asia to Europe. There was a drought in Taiwan. Now, this is home of some of the world's biggest uh, chip makers. There was severe weather in Texas that shut chip uh, production factories down. So all of these events, uh, I have basically com- you know, conspired to cause a huge delay now with new cars.
1: And what's happening in pricing terms? Because I think I'm right in saying, Geraldine, this isn't just a US story. There are kind of factors driving up prices in Ireland as well.
2: Yeah, you see, the problem in Ireland is we have this delay with the new cars, but we also have a few other things that have happened. Basically, imports are falling because ever since Brexit, it's much more expensive now to import a car from the UK. And the UK market, you know, was was quite a substantial one for Irish buyers. So, as I said, imports are still coming in, but they're not coming in in the numbers they were. Also, there's a knock-on effect, obviously, from lockdowns. You know, there's no leased vehicles or car hire coming into the market again. Car hire companies would tend to kind of inject nearly new cars into the market every few months, every six months at least. They're not coming in. So as a result, second-hand prices are going up and up, and there's no sign of them coming down anytime time soon.
1: What, what kind of percentages are we talking over the last say, since COVID started?
2: In terms of um, secondhand hand prices, um, it depends. Say, three-year-old cars now sweep their, uh, their used car app. They did um, some data on this recently and they found the likes of a Volkswagen Golf now, you could be paying 12% more this year than you would have been last year. And then SUVs are very popular, so they're going up even more. Again, a Hyundai Tucson, you might be paying 18% more for. So, a, you know, a substantial rise.
1: Yeah, no, that's a very big rise, all right. Now, you mentioned these semiconductors, these chips, that there's a shortage of what do they do in cars because part of me says Geraldine would you not just build a car anyway
2: well, no, they can't because these are literally used in everything from steering to anti-lock brakes. Like I've heard of car manufacturers in the States actually replacing digital um, speedometers with analog ones because this is the problem they're with. So literally these cars cannot come off the production line at the moment. That's where the delay is.
1: And in terms of things like the Internet of Things, you know, hooking the cars up to the Internet and they can do various gimmicks. It's kind, it's kind of important in that stuff as well, isn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it literally used extensively in cars. I mean, they're, they're, cars are almost computers on wheels at this stage. So a delay on this, you know, with, with chip shortages is just really bad news. And car makers reckon this will continue till the first quarter of next year.
1: All right. Well, the sooner that gets sorted out, uh, the better. One of the other technologies of the future, of course, when it comes to, to driving is this concept of self-driving cars or at the very least sort of assisted driving. And Tesla, Geraldine, mm-hmm. is having a bit of bother at the moment on this front.
2: Yeah, this, this could prove to be a really, really bad outcome for Tesla. Now, the U.S. Um, car safety regulators have basically opened a formal safety investigation into autopilot. Now, autopilot, as you say, is one of Tesla's driver assistance um, techniques. It's it's basically an advanced cruise control system, but uh, Tesla tend to call it self-driving. But anyway, these uh, vehicles have been involved in 11 crashes since January 2018. And it's predominantly with emergency vehicles that have been stationary and also occurred at night, so I think the concern is that there's some sort of a design flaw in autopilot. That is, is the issue. Now, there's a couple of outcomes from this. Obviously, the, the safety regulators could decide, okay, everything is fine, and close uh, close the um, inquiry in a month or two, or they could force a recall, and that would be a very expensive outcome for Tesla because you're talking about over 700,000 cars. Or what probably would even be worse for Elon Musk is they might ask them to overhaul and reconfigure autopilot. So uh, so there's a lot riding on this investigation at the moment.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. And it's kind of one of the, maybe the, the second biggest uh, setting point that these Teslas have, apart from sort of being electric and cool and whatever, is is this kind of self-driving tech. But um, I just want to delve into this a bit further because as you mentioned, it really it's kind of assisted driving and the idea is that the person in the car is still responsible and they're supposed to remain in control. But, but yet we've seen these issues where as you say these cars are crashing into cop cars or fire engines or ambulances that are that they encounter on the road and I just wonder Geraldine looking at this kind of speculating maybe when you've got a system like this this Tesla uh, autopilot it might mean you're a bit more complacent and maybe more inclined to lose concentration
2: yeah I mean this I mean this isn't the first time that Tesla's autopilot has been on, has come under the the scrutiny of the US car safety regulators I, the issue you see we still they haven't really determined is it one that the actual capabilities of autopilot are oversold to Tesla buyers that they actually think they're buying a much more advanced system? Or is it simply that people are abusing the system? So I think that has yet to be established. But certainly, I mean, Elon Musk doesn't help the situation. Like he has given demonstrations of autopilot before where he's actually cruised along with his hands off. Whereas you're supposed to be, you know, basically your hands should be hovering just, you know, beside the steering wheel. There's no suggestion that this is actually self-driving. But again, you know, Elon Musk has always tended to oversell these technologies. So I think it's a bit of both really. You know, it's part abuse. part just people thinking they're buying a slightly more capable system than they actually are
1: this whole concept of self-driving or or assisted driving is it a bit of a gimmick do you think or is it something that's actually going to take off in the future
2: i think it'll definitely take off because i think the technology to move a car from a to b is already there that isn't a problem you know and it can be done in controlled environments and if you think about the safety implications, if we could get self-driving, I mean, 90% of all accidents are down to human error. If you could reduce accidents by 90%, I mean, it would be so significant. 1.3 million people are killed every year. But I think the issue is actually navigating Outside of the controlled environment. So it's navigating the city streets. It's it's all of the other, the complex environments. That's where I think people who made these great and bold prophecies in 2015 have now realised, you know what, this is actually a lot harder than we thought. So I think that's the problem. We're, we're still a long way away from an actual self-driving car that sits outside your door that, you know, will just take you on an, an unscheduled route wherever you want to go.
1: Yeah, so the, the software seems to need a bit of work, as you mentioned, when it comes to those more complex environments. Our, our guest here on News Talk is Geraldine Herbert, motoring journalist with the Sunday Independent. want to ask you, Geraldine, about a couple of more general topics about the industry that you'd encounter, I suppose, in, in your day job. And one of the big ones here, of course, is electric cars. And we know that the government has this target of, of having. Almost a million electric cars on the road by 2030. Now, this year we've sold about 6,000. This target, Geraldine, this 2030 target, it's not going to be met, is it?
2: Um, I think we're a lot closer to it than we were when it was first said in 2019. I think it was a long, long away. Um, You see, things are going to move very fast, Gavin, and I I don't think people realise just how rapidly they're going to move. We're probably about two years away from electric cars being the same price as petrol and diesel cars. And when that happens and people can walk into a dealership, and as I said, the petrol, the diesel and the electric car are basically all the same price, but the electric car is so much cheaper to run, you will see a huge shift in the market market and we know this will happen because if you look at the likes of Norway where they've actually artificially created this price parity because they heavily penalise petrol and diesel and they very generously subsidise electric cars and about 70% of the new cars sold are electric and we will see exactly the same shift in as I said about two years time now whether we meet the target I don't know for definite but I certainly know that a large proportion of the new cars sold by 2030 are going to be electric.
1: So let's just dig into that a little bit more. You, you think it, it'll be the price dynamics basically is what's going to shift it in the next couple of years. What, what, what's driving that price dynamic?
2: Yeah, you see, there's two issues with price at the moment. Now, there's a lot of electric cars on the roads that are well-priced, and it's not that that's the issue, but there are cars that where you have an electric version and a petrol version and a diesel version, and there's still a big gap between them. Now, that will close when battery costs are reduced, and that is likely to happen, as I said, in the next two years. The other thing is more car manufacturers are moving towards producing electric cars on an electric-only platform, and that's actually just a manufacturing thing, and that reduces costs as well. So these two things, but mainly the battery is where you're going to see the reduction. When the when those battery costs fall you will then see you know price parity across the board and as I said then when you factor in just how cheap they are to run it won't make sense for a lot of people not to go electric
1: the range anxiety I suppose is the the bigger thing though I would have thought and I know obviously we've seen examples of cars that have got really really good ranges now but it's for that journey across the country things like that where you're not sure you know where am I going to stop you have to kind of plan it out there's a bit of delay involved isn't that going to put people off?
2: Yeah, a few things about that. I suppose a lot of us overestimate how much we drive. So we don't actually drive that much. But yes, if you're going on the long journey. But like most of the brand new electric cars that are coming on stream at the moment have over 300 kilometres. And a lot of them are at four, 450 at this stage. So that will take you fairly, like that'll take you more or less across the country or do your longest route. Now, the other thing as well is the ESB are investing. 20 million in the infrastructure, you know, the the public charging network around the country. And they will have some of these really fast hubs, which will give you basically 100 kilometers in about six minutes. Even the fast chargers do about 80% in about 20, 30 minutes. So, I mean, you know, most people who are travelling across the country, they're probably going to stop at some stage for a cup of coffee or it certainly wouldn't be a huge burden to do that. So, even if you're in a car that has only, you know, 250 kilometres of range or whatever, you're still probably going to do most of that journey fairly okay. As I said, the ESB, though, are investing heavily in the network and over the next year or two, we will see the benefits of that.
1: What about the size of the fleet, Geraldine? Because as well as this drive to get... More electric cars. We also are seeing all these calls to take cars out of towns, out of cities and have more public transport. And it kind of makes me think, well, if you can't drive your car into the town or into the city, or at least it's more difficult, that's not really an incentive to go electric.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I suppose if they say, if, I mean, there is talk about congestion charges and low emission zones, and I suppose there are cars that you can, then electric cars are the ones that you can take into the city. But I think overall, over the next decade, we are going to see a big change in car ownership as well. I mean, we're probably likely to see a sort of Netflix or Spotify approach to car ownership. It certainly started happening in the UK. You know, I mean, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people to own a car when it sits for 23 hours a day on your in your driveway. So I think, you know, we're going to see that sort of a changing mentality in terms of car ownership and see more of the sort of go cars and the car share and all of that idea as well. So that will take a lot of cars off the road.
1: I think you're you're definitely right about that and it'll probably be driven by younger people. But I, I, I would suggest it would go even further because we have seen fewer young people taking out driving licences as well uh, in, in sort of in Western countries. If you look at the US, for example, about half of 17-year-olds had a licence in 1983, but by 2017, it was down to a quarter. And then in the UK, if we look at those aged 17 to 20, 48% had a licence in the early 90s, but by 2014, it was 29%. So it seems, Geraldine, that young people are driving less or less interested in driving than they used to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's been replicated in the UK as well. So definitely, we see that... And these are probably a whole generation that just won't, as you say, never mind not own a car or have access to a car. They won't even want to bother because they won't even know how to drive. So, yeah, that's definitely happening. I suppose as we see more and more people and moving into cities and they're anticipating that, you know, the the population will be shifting towards urban environments much more over the next decade as well. People won't. I mean, again, as you say, you know, cities are not particularly car friendly places and they certainly won't be in the next decade. So it'll be, you know, public transport and the like that the young people will rely on.
1: Have you seen any evidence that the big shift that we've seen to remote working in the pandemic has maybe lessened demand as well? Because some people were saying that if people, you know, if they don't need it for the commute anymore, maybe they can just live without a car.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's been a funny one, really, because I haven't I haven't heard of any sort of anecdotal evidence that that's the case. What I have heard is actually more cars being bought in some respects for for uh, particularly uh, third level students because they are not living on campus anymore. So they need transport to go up maybe once a week or whatever um, to lectures or to just pop in or whatever. So because they weren't spending a big chunk on rent they were actually spending it on second-hand cars. So there was kind of a surge in that. Whether this will continue, I mean, it, it, uh, I suppose we, it remains to be seen whether we'll all stay working from home when people have the opportunity of returning to the office. You know, I know a lot of people who have just are worn out with working from home at this stage. The novelty is well and truly gone, but whether or not that will be replicated and we'll stay like this, it's just, I think, the, you know, the jury is out on yeah. that one.
1: Got to wait and see. Obviously, there is a lot of pandemic savings built up, so one might suspect some of them uh, would go on cars. but, But as you mentioned, we'll have to wait and see. Last thing I want to ask you, then, is to kind of sum all this up. So if we're looking at a future where, you know, maybe we've got fewer people buying cars than we had in the past, what does that mean for the manufacturers? What do you think a car manufacturer has to do to make their vehicle attractive? Uh, to to people in the future? What are are the cars that we're all driving going to look like?
2: Well, I think this is going to be a big challenge for car manufacturers, particularly if we go to sort of the Netflix approach where, you know, you get the SUV if you're going down the country and you only have the small city car if you, you know, for a runaround or whatever, is how to make this pay. And I think it's one of the things that most car manufacturers are scratching their head with at the moment. Um, You know, I think a lot of them are at the moment have no option but to go with the the electric car and drive. This CO2 um, regulations in Europe are forced their hand on this one they're probably moving a little faster than they had hoped so I think that is going to take up a lot of their time and their resources and effort for for the next few years but I think in the long term it is going to be a huge challenge as to how do you make um, car manufacturing profitable in the future
1: Yeah big obviously a lot of consolidation going on so they seem to be going for scale but uh, definitely a challenging period ahead for these guys Uh, Okay we leave it there Geraldine Herbert Motoring Journalist with the Sunday Independent Thanks very much for being with us
2: Thanks Gavin
0: If you are 65 or over or you have a weak immune system, you can now get your second COVID-19 booster vaccine. Your vaccine is due four months after your last vaccine. It will improve your protection from COVID-19. You can book a vaccination centre appointment on hsc.ie or contact a participating GP or pharmacy. For more information on your second booster or to book an appointment, visit hsc.ie or call our team in HSE Live on 1800 700 700 from the HSE for us all.